You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. Today I'm talking with a, an old friend, Thomas Hugger, who runs the Asia Frontier Capital Group of Funds. And Hi, Chris. Good to chat again, Thomas. It's been some time since we've caught up. Very quick background on Thomas. He runs those three, his three funds that he's focused on. One is the Asia Frontier Fund, then there's an Iraq Fund, and the Vietnamese Fund. Um, the, the, you've managed to win a number of awards recently, Thomas. Um, always follow what you're doing, and it's you know, you're certainly in an in a, in a market environment that's fairly hostile towards hedge funds, which we were talking about just before we um, started recording on this call. And at the same time, you've been outperforming the market ever since you launched these funds. So let's let's kind of get into, uh, dig straight into Asia in particular. I know you've got, you've, you've been bullish on Vietnam for a long time now. That's been your outstanding fund. Um, yes, tell tell me what are you what are you seeing there at the moment? No, I mean uh, uh, since two days uh, the world has changed a little bit. So with the new president, uh, uh, I think you want to talk about that. I mean, uh, we on, on a on a let's say in general what we look at uh, Asia Frontier Capital is we we focus on domestic companies. So we have never really invested in uh, companies which are benefiting from uh, from export or export growth. Uh, our big dream is that because these companies, uh, sorry, these countries have a, a competitive advantage from a labor cost, they are uh, yeah, low, low, low cost uh, of manufacturing, especially versus China, so that a lot of this uh, new capacity will not be or new capacity or already existing capacity because it's too expensive to produce some of the goods not any they're not anymore making money in Guangdong province so that these businesses are moving to countries like Vietnam uh, Bangladesh uh, uh, Cambodia maybe in the future to Myanmar and especially then also to Pakistan which I was uh, my last business trip there which looks very exciting so so uh, because of this uh, Vietnam should Benefit. Uh, so is Vietnam still uh, still on the low cost labor capacity side of things. That competitive on that front? I mean, I know yeah, it's very yeah, it's very competitive. It's still uh, maybe uh, half to two uh, two thirds of the labor costs in uh, in China. Right, and yeah. so that brings me to the Philippines. How do they how do they compare in terms of labor costs with Vietnam? Vietnam, uh, Vietnam and Philippines. Uh, it's Philippines is a little bit higher, right? But, yeah, but uh, I think the story I mean, the Philippines is that uh, because they they speak very well English, so uh, the the outsourcing of maybe IT or especially services, uh, uh, phone uh, you know, operations and this yeah. kind of stuff is there 
that's that's a big thing. But the, the manufacturing, because Vietnam has pretty good infrastructure, and, and Vietnam, uh, sorry, Philippines, especially the the power prices are very high, so that's a big advantage for uh, for uh, Vietnam. That's uh, power prices much much cheaper. And what about political stability across that region? So, you, I mean, obviously we've got Duterte in power, who's an interesting character. Yeah. Um, and then you know, so it's still trying to figure out what that looks like, um, and when what his presidency looks like. Um, Vietnam's obviously has had its own issues, many issues over the years, but it's still continued to grow very rapidly. The anticipation seems to be that the Philippines is going to um, still grow rapidly as well. What's your interpretation of the political environment in, in Vietnam and um, and what's your interpretation of Duterte? Okay, uh, on Vietnam, uh, don't forget, it's still a communist country. So, you know, there's, we just have a new prime minister president there uh, since a couple of months. So, it's within the same party, so it has not a real uh, big change. Maybe so, some small policy changes. Uh, the previous prime minister was from the south. Now the new, this existing one, the new one, is from the north. Uh, maybe a little bit tension there or was shifting a little bit, or the focus uh, shifting uh, uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think it's pretty stable. So uh, it's not, I mean, domestically it's very stable, uh, whereas Duterte is very vocal and, yeah, I mean, I don't need to talk about too much about this. So, but of course, I mean, and you, you never know, he's flip-flopping. So today he says that and then two days later he says, I didn't mean that. Yeah. Uh, he, he went to uh, to China and said, that's our new friend and and the Obama administration, he, he hated them or he hates them. Now Trump is coming. He calls him a friend. I said, oh, he's one of mine. So we, it's very difficult to read this guy. I mean, it's, it's like very difficult to read uh, 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 Trump, mm-hmm. uh, what's, what his uh, policies are. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have a very tough uh, time with you now because it's only 48 hours after the U.S. election. And we, everybody's what is going on because we, we don't know. I think it was very seldom that the, uh, a, president, a U.S. president was elected, <clears throat> and he didn't say really once one a whole sentence about what he was. I mean, he, he always only said what he wants to do, uh, some some keywords that he wants to be the wall, but how he wants to do it, or he wants to uh, do this and this. Uh, so um, uh, let's say, for example, uh, that or, uh, U.S. He wants to uh, oil that this these projects which were stopped that he wants uh, uh, US oil uh, uh, independent and this kind of stuff but how you want to implement this we, we have no idea so and Duerte is probably also from the same category it's very difficult to read what the strategy will be and also I mean uh, Trump what he said uh, during the election campaign that he will I mean that China is a currency manipulator and uh, he will uh, have tough talks with them regarding South China Sea, uh, that they're occupying the South China Sea, building a fortress or whatever. So, uh, therefore, it will be very interesting uh, uh, because Vietnam is leans so far in the past have leaned more, a little bit towards uh, the US. Mm-hmm. And 
of course, I mean, this uh, South China Sea tension is a, it's a very big theme. Uh, and uh, we have, it's a wild guess what, what will happen. Will there be confrontation or will uh, Trump go uh, to China and try to find a solution on a more friendly term? So uh, we have no idea what the rhetorics will be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because part of his campaign was that he was, you know, there was talk of getting American troops out of Japan and South Korea on the yeah. grounds that those countries can pay for their own defense if they want it, which yes. I, I think that's a good idea. However, it would mean the, essentially the end of uh, the American empire in Asia, right? The other that, thing that, 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 would, that would fly in the face of, you know, the arms industry, the NATO, um, all these sort of international welfare clients that are benefiting from um, American military in, in that region. So, you know, he talks about these things. Implementing them is radically different, uh, and there's a lot of opposition, I think, that he's going to find to those. But that being said, it does put a lot of uncertainty in that realm. Um, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to pull the troops out there, which uh, is all well and good, but what it does then is it opens, um, it opens China to... Um, controlling those sea lanes, which is what they need. To, that's what they, that's their, their Achilles heel um, to a certain extent. Or yeah, absolutely. That's what they want. Yeah, so country. you play into the China hand of that. Yeah, if you pull yeah, yeah. the, the troops in from South Korea or from Japan or even if Duterte kicks out uh, Americans from Philippines, yeah, so nobody's there. So China have an uh, open uh, play field, yeah? I'm yeah. not sure if he wants that because yeah. he clearly said... I mean, on the other hand, he clearly says he wants to make the U.S. strong again and the U.S. Army strong again. Mm -hmm. So it means he will invest a lot of money into the U.S. Army, uh, maybe better, even better equipment or whatever. So, but where will be the U.S. Uh, troops uh, be stationed um, if he, he takes them them out? And yeah, and it's it's completely. Uh, I think you know, uh, China has a strategy to. Uh, put countries around India, uh, especially India, which is, is a big, somehow there's some animosity between these two countries. So uh, he he helps, supports a lot, uh, Cambodia, Laos, uh, he's, uh, China's going to Myanmar, and now big supporting of, uh, of uh, Pakistan and also uh, backing up uh, Iran. So completely the opposite of... Uh, of the Obama administration. Yeah, uh, Obama's uh, uh, previous uh, strategy, and especially also now uh, uh, Trump's strategy. So, I mean, somehow it doesn't make sense when he says uh, he wants China is building a, a fortress. So, yeah, it's wishy-washy. So we have no idea. Which just puts uncertainty in the markets. So, yes. is there anything in particular that you're focusing on within that Asian region, irrespective of a Trump? what Trump may or may not do or may or may not be able to do in the region. You know, are there any particular sectors that you are finding more interesting than others? Where's, where's your focus? Okay, our focus is we want to invest in long-term uh, themes or uh, trends. So for us, the long-term trend, uh, trend is what I said, uh, the cheap cost uh, advantage of those markets we are investing. And then but we are not really invested, as I said, in the companies uh, benefiting from uh, from this from this move uh, from uh, exporting uh, growth. So, with the exception, a little bit in uh, textiles, or uh, yeah. So, 
what the benefit is out of this move is that this countries, the middle class or the, the poor, a lot of a lot of uh, poor people will be shifted from from very low, uh, uh, you know, income brackets to let's say lower income, uh, a little bit higher low income, or to low income or middle class, and that's what we try to play so that more people are shifted from poverty into let's say uh, maybe in 10 years or 20 years. So this is a really long t long trend into middle class. And um, that means basically uh, they are starting uh, saving money and uh, getting richer. And what what is all out of it? It's more consumption. So that's what we really try to play. That's our, for us the really the big long-term trend and we are not going to change that. And I think it will also not change, even though we have these short-term volatilities, uh, maybe a new president and here this and this and this. And then what we also focus is we focus on uh, so far on companies which are benefiting from domestic, uh, so the domestic growth of, of the country. So let's say uh, infrastructure uh, investments. So we are like construction companies, cement companies, uh, this kind of stuff. So, so these are, uh, I mean, that's, what we try to do is, especially in times of these uncertainties, uh, not to jump on uh, short uh, trends. Uh, we we try to really focus the, the core uh, the core portfolio in uh, long term trends. So we we also see some maybe we have now started investing in a uh, in a trend which we might be which we think might just have started is that some of the commodities uh, have uh, found a bottom. So we'll, uh, for example, like copper or uh, or uh, uh, go, uh, obviously gold, which mm -hmm. we like since long time, and especially coal. Uh, you know, we were invested in a coal company. Coke and coal in particular has been um, on a on a massive rally. Then in the commodity space, we've been very very interested in um, a number of. It's interesting that you bring up copper because that's just something that was um, literally this morning we were looking at, but. Do you have any interest in the softs as well, the soft commodities, which we're intensely looking at as well at the moment? Uh, for soft commodities, it's very difficult because uh, soft commodities, they have uh, some inter impact, which is called weather. And weather patterns, I mean, it's <laughs> it's like forecasting weather is like uh, forecasting, I mean, the uh, stock market. I mean, that, uh, hundreds of thousand people try to find uh, a methodology to value, uh, uh, let's say, shares correctly. Some use P, some use this. Um, and I think the some, uh, same with weather patterns. Uh, or it's like forecasting votes like Brexit or uh, or uh, the US election. I mean, it's very difficult. And I think that is also very difficult. And therefore, this, and as I said, we, we want to invest in long-term trends. So, you know, uh, and what we see, what, what I think is that in uh, soft commodities is that they're impacted by weather patterns and, uh, or let's say a good example was uh, in uh, when uh, President uh, Bush Jr. was uh, uh, running in the U.S. that he subsidized, uh, you know, this corn and uh, and uh, I mean, he subsidized alternative energy, so corn and uh, and wheat prices went up, went up uh, dramatically. And then suddenly, uh, because uh, the farmer, they were, because they were so they are so flexible, it was instead of growing, let's say, soybeans, they uh, they they moved to uh, to to replace this uh, to to corn or to wheat, and right. the prices have 
have yeah, there's a lot of vari- there's a lot of variables that can move it. You've got subsidies, and it can tend to be quite a political. Well, commodities in general can be become politicized. Uh, yes, that as well. Yes, yeah. That, so that always brings other elements where you can be right in terms of fundamental supply and demand, or or whatever it may be, um, and you can be wrong because the government decides to put a massive tariff on, or a, or a subsidy, or a, something of that nature. So that's yeah. that's always true, I guess. Of um, you know, and, and especially sensitive commodities that impact your middle or lower class uh, because it's politically quite popular. For example, if um, and we had this in Egypt, you know, where there was a crisis in terms of food, and uh, you know, so they came in and they said we we're going to subsidize subsidize wheat, which yeah. of course actually just destroys the market because it it takes away the profit motive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, we had other yeah. examples like Thailand with the rice subsidy of Miss Miss Tokshi, you know what? Or or sometimes we have crises in India with when the garlic or the onion prices are too high that people are rioting and so the, mm-hmm. the government steps in. So yeah, that's why we normally uh, I mean it's it's a it's a guessing game. So uh, and we are really very conservative as I said. So you so you're focused on those consumer plays that are really just a, um, an extrapolation of the rising middle class in those particular countries. Yes, yeah. So, you know, very basic thing like a bakery or noodles or maybe. So more in consumption than production in, in that respect. So yes, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you would have presumably um, rather than playing, say, wheat, you would be playing um, a chain of bakeries. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. Right. Or let's say instead uh, or a soft drink producer. So because when people have money, uh, instead of drinking uh, water every day, they want to have uh, you know Coke or Fanta or Sprite or whatever. Or what we what we especially like and yeah, is beer. Beer is one of the yeah, of products people uh, yeah when they can afford uh, going out in the evening and uh, drink a beer and yeah that's that's one of the really typical classical uh, very simple basic uh, product we'd like to invest. You'll need to go back to your home country and start importing Swiss beer and cheese. Sell them cheese too. Yeah, but the Swiss beer is not good. <laughs> no, no. The cheese is good. Sell cheese them is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, you talked about Pakistan. That's part of your wider Asia, Asia Frontier Fund? Yes. It's yeah. our second largest uh, holding, uh, country holding right now the, uh, in the Asia Frontier Fund. The biggest one is Vietnam and then followed by... Uh, Pakistan and then Bangladesh. That's interesting because I was looking just recently and um, I think it was across the index there, the average PE was about 10 or 11. That's correct. For, so that's, I mean, it's, that's, that's pretty cheap. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great thing about our markets, even uh, Vietnam. Uh, okay, the index uh, shows a PE of, I think right now, four t- 14 times because the biggest company, Vina Milk, uh, has has opened uh, its foreign limits, uh, I mean, abolished its foreign limits, so the price has gone up a lot. But I mean, really, in our Vietnam fund, at the uh, average PE is somewhere around nine and a half times of the fund, mm-hmm. so much cheaper. And uh, also, that's the nice thing about those markets we are investing is that they're not as expensive as other emerging or Asian uh, emerging markets. So considerably lower the, the PEs and the valuations are com- considerably lower. But then how much are you paying for that in terms of maybe lack of governance, political instability, 
you can't compare Pakistan to Hong Kong, obviously, right? Where you're yeah. you're based. So how do you how do you go about discounting political risk and and when I say political risk, really, I guess I'm also talking about um, accounting, you know, um, the legal infrastructure risk. Yeah, I'm not so sure about legal infrastructure risk when I look at the quality of companies sometimes listed here, of Chinese companies listed here in Hong Kong, but that's enough, something different. <laughs> no, but you're, you're certainly good, touching a good point. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, to compare it uh, is pretty difficult. Uh, let's say Hong Kong and, uh, and Pakistan is very extreme. So we need to look at other countries maybe around the globe which are in a uh, similar situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pakistan and uh, yeah, maybe... Bangladesh? Uh, yeah, Bangladesh, is, uh, that's, that's a wild animal. Even they used to be uh, the same country until uh, early 70s. Uh, the, the market is completely driven by local investors. So the market is very expensive. So it's trades at 25, 22, 25 times uh, because it's completely uh, locally driven and uh, it's very strange. Uh, so there we have some difficulties to, to find really uh, attractive valued uh, companies. Uh, we, we, we have some uh, uh, which are completely neglected by the brokers and by the retail investors. But uh, going back to your question about Pakistan. So, I mean, what we, what we normally look is we want to look, uh, we want to invest in companies which are growing above average. Uh, so we take companies which have, so as a, as a uh, rule of thumb, so we want to invest in companies which are growing top line two to three times the the, the GDP, right. and then they should have a, 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 a yeah. reasonable uh, valuation. Uh, to to really to uh, to we we don't have a, a hard measurement of political risk. Obviously, you're right. Pakistan is trading only at, let's say, between uh, 10 and 11 times. It used to trade four or five years ago at between six and seven times. So there was a revaluation because the stability, uh, the country has stabilized, has less uh, violence and has normalized. Uh, but it, So it will always trade uh, at a certain uh, discount to, the, uh, to, to other markets, comparable markets like, let's say, India, or which is more stable. And the same is probably valid for uh, for Russia because we have political risk there, so that's why there's a discount on the stock market. But the question is: is it too uh, is uh, is it uh, too too much discounted or not? Right. And uh, yeah, that can change. And is and despite that, we try to find companies, specific companies, which are even more discounted towards the. Uh, the, the, it's it's environment and yeah. So uh, yeah, kind of I guess top down viewpoint in terms of trying to find countries which are growing that have got reasonable valuations and then digging into particular companies within sectors within those countries that are exhibiting you know, even more value or, or trading below where they probably should be relative to that country. That's correct. Yeah, intrinsic value. Yeah. So you mentioned India as well, and um, I kind of wanted to quickly touch on India and the other place that you know. Would, I, th- I think the last time you and I were together was in Sri Lanka. That's know. correct. Yeah. So, have you? What are you, what are your thoughts on Sri Lanka and their neighbour India? I know there's a lot of uh, Asia-focused um, friends of mine that are quite. They're very bullish on India. That's kind of seems to be one of the key areas that people are bullish on. What are your thoughts? 
you're really it's really difficult question for me to answer because we are not investing in India and I'm very happy that I'm not I need to invest in India because yeah I think the story is there but the execution is not there uh, look at China uh, uh, I mean India and China 30 25 30 years ago they were at the same level look where China is today so they were able to execute it uh, and that's why I'm a, a little bit of bear on uh, on India I think I see the potential but it's much slower than what people uh, expect because there's so 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 many hurdles which because it's a democ democratic country it has various you know states <laughs> it's funny you just say this i was just going to say that if you take the difference between india and china what you had in china was an ability to move forward rapidly because essentially you had a you had a one party that said you know what we're going for a swim and everybody went for a swim yeah. Whereas in India, it is, well, you know, they talk about it being the world's largest democracy. It's also the world's, one of the most, world's largest dysfunctional countries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, it's, that's extreme. You know, I'm from Switzerland, and Switzerland is uh, probably the most democratic country on, on the planet. It works because we yeah, are the structure is uh, very different. We, we had yeah, the structure is different, and people are educated, and also, and it's very important. It's not only the the uh, the uh, the legislative or the parliament is there, or the, the general infra uh, general is uh, is a democratic country, but also the ex executive. So the bureaucrats, they are very well paid, and they're in line with what's politicians and they execute execute uh, accordingly i think and that's the problem in india so you have maybe now with modi a politician he wants to step, bring the country forward but the bureau, uh, bureaucrats the uh, is so slow and antiquated and they have their own interests uh, and, and unfortunately i think that stops the whole country and there are other issues let's let's say like with this each state is very independent from uh, daily uh, you do, you don't have it in China, so it's it's Beijing and Beijing says it, and everybody. Executes. You don't, but then if you think about Switzerland, that's got the independence in that. Right? You you basically have the cantons, right, which in which function independently. They function independently in uh, in terms of let's say uh, financing, uh, but but I think that's it. They they cannot have their own law or whatever. It's it's within the federal uh, laws. But come going back to let's say. Southeast Asia, so uh, India, uh, Sri Lanka, and Pakistan. So, on Sri Lanka, uh, we are a little bit cautious uh, at the moment. Uh, we have underweight Sri Lanka. I'm not sure if you're right or wrong. So, uh, the the currency since we last met has uh, decreased uh, about ten to twelve percent. Uh, there's a new government uh, uh, in place, so the old has been uh, voted out, and this they are very populistic, and the the country is you know after 30 years of uh, civil war uh, in a very difficult sit uh, I mean was in a difficult situation from a finance point of view. You know you had, you had to finance a war, uh, and it's maybe also a little bit similar <laughs> with with uh, with the US, which have to, uh, which is financing wars outside of the, uh, its own countries. Maybe that's that's why their finances are a little bit out of order. But so so Sri Lanka is in the same situation, and they have a, bud, a budget deficit, household deficit, a trade deficit. I mean, hardly any uh, forex uh, reserves. So 
uh, they were in a difficult situation and they had to rebuild the infrastructure and so the current the currency was therefore uh, weakened because basically no more for foreign reserves left less than three months of uh, imports they had to ask the IMF for uh, for a standby loan and what they are doing uh, they need to find more income uh, sources like uh, maybe uh, uh, Obama tried to do and now uh, Trump is to uh, he's, he's promising to cutting some and then I don't know where he wants to finance that that's another question so so therefore consumption we think will be uh, suppressed a little bit uh, over the next foreseeable future so we have we have taken the stance uh, and uh, reduced our exposure uh, on the way to Sri Lanka on the other hand what we like is as I said Pakistan uh, and there uh, have been uh, two months ago there as well uh, the first time after uh, after two and a half or three years and the country has the perception uh, the country uh, the, the mood in the country has changed 180 degrees because what uh, happened is that China has this one uh, one road one belt strategy and they're putting uh, 40 billion more than 40 billion US dollars into uh, the uh, CPEC so the China uh, Pakistan economic uh, corridor so they will put 40 billion into infrastructure into Pakistan like building a port in Gwadar uh, but the more importantly they will uh, build uh, one or two railroads connecting the north and the south uh, highway from north to south and uh, especially a lot of uh, power plants because uh, let's say two or three years ago uh, or even one year ago and even today some parts of Karachi even Karachi they don't only have uh, power for eight 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 hours uh, uh, a day so if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you want to produce textiles, which, you know, the margins are uh, still, even if you, if you produce it in, in Pakistan, are uh, pretty thin. So you need to operate 24 hours. And if you have a business only, and you can only operate eight hours because you uh, don't have power uh, 24 hours around, it's very difficult. And now with this commitment of China, putting in 40 billion US dollars, a lot of them into uh, power production, uh, this is a big game changer for the country and also because China is coming in with such a big check uh, the government is also doing the everything utmost to really have uh, make the country more stable and also to uh, enforce law and order and you know security and this kind of stuff so this this could be a and that's what we are looking at uh, AFC that could be a theme for the next uh, couple of years so that this country is really changing um, and I've seen this take place in Africa before where you have large capital investment like that where the government makes a concerted effort to stabilize that particular region um, in order to ensure that that capital does flow it can it can really change um, an entire market very very quickly it's sort of you know grandparents are coming make sure the kids are dressed up well, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. And and I've seen that take place in Zambia and Mozambique and uh, in a number of places. So, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. That's for us a very very big uh, bet. I mean, I hope that Pakistan now has this uh, opportunity, this chance, chance of a, li a lifetime, and they really execute it well. Of course, I mean there are a lot of obstacles. Uh, 
some people won't like it. I mean, their their big neighbor is not really happy about it that uh, China sure. is interfering uh, that dramatically into uh, their hated neighbor. But uh, let's see how uh, uh, Pakistan will uh, play it out and how uh, India will uh, behave. And at the end of the day, India doesn't have the capability to, on a political with political muscle, to be able to do a whole lot of, about that. It's it tends to be a situation where they're probably better off cozying up to China than being uh, antagonistic towards them. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that because Modi is very uh, populistic and uh, he was voted because he's a populist. So he plays, uh, he has to per- play this court in India domestically in order to uh, keep up his uh, popularity. He's a man uh, like a rock star. You don't he's- think that he's quite business-minded? Yeah, he's, he is business-minded, but he's like Trump. Uh, he is, mm. Trump is also business-minded, but he wants to make U, uh, U.S. great, and he mm. doesn't care about his neighbors or outside uh, the U.S., what I think, let's say, very basically said. And I think uh, that's a little bit Modi uh, is the same. He wants to make his country big, and he doesn't care about he, – he doesn't like it if Pakistan gets uh, str- uh, stronger. And he already played some uh, one or two cards. I mean, one, uh, this, I mean, we are talking here and nobody writes about it, but there are, there are uh, you know, uh, exchanging our artillery fires every day, shelling uh, each other in, uh, uh, in, the, in the north. Kashmir. Uh, Kashmir. Uh, and they announced that they are going to, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that they're going to maybe renegotiate or review the water treaty of uh, of the rivers between uh, Pakistan and India. And I mean, that could be a big blow to uh, Pakistan. So, I mean, they're already sending some signals. Hey, guys, uh, we're not really happy. Yeah, that that could, yeah. That's that's been a tinderbox for years and years, that whole area. And if they go down that path of, you know, because look, they're fighting over water. That's that's a that's it's often been an issue up there. I mean, amongst other things. Mm, um, yes, but that is. So, I mean, also the Kashmir thing, you know, it could explode. So it really depends on uh, Pakistan how they they play the court. I mean, this they are lucky now that they have uh, their friend, which also was a friend since uh, Pakistan was uh, formed. Uh, only 60 years ago, uh, and now they're really, really supporting them uh, uh, greatly. And let's see how they play, uh, how, how it, it plays out. But as I said, it's politics. Uh, the current government will be uh, probably they will be re-elected, but you never know. So, uh, so many uncertainties. But I think I, per- I personally think they have a good chance to be on the right path, and we would like to uh, participate that. And we have already uh, allocated and uh, our funds or directed our funds into this uh, new trend. Last question, Thomas, before I let you go. If you wanted to get exposure to Asia, is there any particular country that you would favor over another country? Is it, you know, would it be Vietnam, which has been fantastic for your fund for the last four and a half years? Would it be Pakistan, which is possibly exhibiting a little bit more potential, um, but has certain risks behind it. How would you, what, what would your need, your sort of knee-jerk reaction be if I said to you right now, you've got, I don't know, give you a small amount of money, here, here's 
and um, it's it's an allocation towards Asia. Where and and you can only put it into one place. Where would that be? If I only have a chance to put it in one place, uh, and you're going to make it hard. I, for you. I, I would put it into uh, Pakistan. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I think one outside, completely outside of the box uh, allocation would be Mongolia. Another interesting place, um, which we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to cover, um, I guess, on another call. Um, yeah. That's you know, you and I both have holdings there, so and some of them have been spectacular, and some of them have been disastrous. Yes. So, yeah. um, but that, we've got a new a new government in power there. It's yeah. It's pretty much the same government that was in before, which presided over what was it, seventeen percent annualized growth for yes, that's correct. You know, for ten years nearly. Yeah. Um, so then, the, then, then the the government between messed messed it all up. Well, they didn't really mess it up as much as completely destroy it. You know, <laughs> it was, you know, you could you could go into a building and kick the doors in. And really what they did was they went in, they kicked the doors in, planted dynamite, they poured gasoline and then lit, it, lit the match. That was, yeah. you know. Um, that it was, was it was um, it, it was impressive. I'll give mm-hmm. them that. So, yeah. um, and so we'll, we'll possibly here, pass we, that now. here we have a cocktail of, as you said, country which was uh, over the last, uh, was it eight years, co- uh, completely messed up by uh, politicians. Uh, we had falling uh, commodity prices, but as uh, we discussed, uh, we think that some of the commodity prices uh, look pretty good. So copper, coal, uh, which they have uh, you know everywhere in the country. You just take a hole yeah. and you get it out. And uh, and obviously, you are very bullish on gold, which I am uh, as well. I'm being from Switzerland, and you know uh, we have one investment in one uh, explorer. Basically, the the I've seen pictures. The gold lies there on the surface. You can just pick it up. You see it, you know, if you walk through through the Gobi Desert. So, I mean, what a great country. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's on the border of the, you know, one of the largest consumption groups in the world. I mean, uh, the country is uh, unfortunate that they don't have access to sea. It's a landlocked country and mm-hmm. they have two difficult neighbors. And uh, especially the relationship with the south, uh, southern neighbor, so over the last, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 years was always very difficult. Uh, but, you know, they have to overcome this and then they can really prosper. Yeah. But I don't well, know if they can do it, but, uh, yeah, it looks, uh, it, it's, it's a wild card and it could be really a big, big winner. It's one of those places where if you get it right, you don't make double, triple, quadruple, you make 10, 20, 50 times. Yes. And that's, that's, yeah, you know, that's of interest. Obviously. So, <laughs> so if, if you would tell me, uh, you, you can choose two countries. So I would put 80% in Pakistan, 20% in, uh, in Mongolia or something like that. Very good. Well, Thomas, it's always, always a lot of fun talking to you and I really appreciate your time. Great. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you, your website is, www.asiafrontiercapital.com Great. Otherwise, just contact me directly and I can, um, I can put you in touch with, with Thomas. So until next time, mate. Yeah, okay, great. Be oh, good and take care. So, uh, New Zealand. Always.
Have a good time. Huh? Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Thanks very much for tuning in. To receive more great subscriber-only information, go to capitalistexploits.at.